0: So glad to see you all this morning. If anyone missed the announcement for fourth and fifth graders to be released, maybe you were out of the room at that moment. Make sure you get your fourth and fifth grader to their small group right now at this point. I have one quick announcement before we jump into the word. Women, your day is coming, devoted conference. We do one big event a year as women. Sometimes we'll do, we definitely always have women's groups going on in our group semesters, but we do one big event, and it's a getaway every single March and so we would love to have you join us we've been talking about it the last few weeks uh, it happens right in Virginia Beach we get away for two nights and it's a phenomenal conference if you've not been before we would love to have you join us those of you who have been before you know it's amazing and worth that time and the little bit of work it takes to coordinate getting away for a couple days right always worth it so registration opens today if you're interested in going I need you to get to that table out in the hallway right after our gathering today we'll get you all registered, answer all your questions, make sure you have what you need. March 5th through 7th, though, mark your calendars. All right, we ready for the word? Let's do it. We are in week two of our Don't Move That series. Don't Move That. Now, for Christmas, one of our gifts that we got from a family member, is kind of a family gift, was a life-size Jenga. Have you ever seen this before? I did not know they existed. So it's this huge zip-up bag with all the pieces, and it's a Jenga that you could play, you know, maybe outside in your yard, or we actually haven't used it yet. But has anyone played the game Jenga before? You know what I'm talking about. It's all these crisscross wooden blocks. You build a tower, And then when it's your turn, you try to find the piece you can move without toppling over the entire tower. So if you're like me, you're like poking at them and trying to see which one is a little wiggly and it won't totally mess up the whole structure. And you pull out the piece and you pray that it doesn't fall. You put it on top. And at first, it's this little compact tower. By the end, it's kind of all over the place. And eventually, someone moves a piece. It can't stand up any longer and it topples to the ground. And honestly, at the risk of oversimplifying your life and mine, our lives are a little bit like a game of Jenga. Where there are some pieces in our life that over time shift and change and look a little bit different. But there are also, also foundational pieces that you better not mess with or the whole thing can come crashing down. And that's really what this series is about, is this, that your life, the scape, the look of your life will change from time to time, and that is okay. Change can be scary. It can feel uncomfortable and awkward. There are changes that come your way that are great, that are okay. If your life looks the same today as it did 10 years ago, let's have a conversation about maybe some things that need to shift and change, but we don't want to mess with those foundational pieces that bring us stability over time. You know, and I am a personal trainer and a coach at a gym here in town, and one of the things that I, that is my job to do when people are paying money to come workout is to, when they're working out with weights, to look at their three anchor points, which are your hips, your core, and your shoulders. So, Person A, person B might look completely different in the movement that they're doing. That's okay. I'm not getting everyone, my goal is not to get everyone to look the same. My goal is to make sure all three anchors are in place and stable. As long as that is where it needs to be, then I know we can build off of that movement. And we have those same things in kind of the spirit realm in our life those anchors that we never want to let go of. And so our key verse for this whole series comes from Proverbs chapter 22. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. You're gonna hear it every single week. Proverbs 22, if you're looking for... A quick read of scripture, a quick like dose of scripture in the morning, I would recommend the book of Proverbs. There's one for every day of the month, and they're packed with wisdom. Some of them are kind of random, meaning it's all these one-liners kind of strung together. And even just one of those one-liners you could chew on all day. And so in Proverbs 22, we get to verse 28, and this, this chapter is loaded with wisdom and truth. And then there's this obscure verse that seems kind of disconnected, In verse 28, it says, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. And it would be very easy to just kind of pass by that. I don't know. Who's that for? I don't know. What ancient landmark? What does that even mean? What this means is that there are principles. There are things that are in place that are there for your benefit, for your safety, for your security that should not be moved. You know, a few years ago, I preached a sermon that talking about building your life on the Word of God. And my whole premise and, and kind of launching point for that sermon was this idea that parameters bring peace. That we live in a culture I'm very thankful for where we kind of push up against parameters. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that helps us to be creative, it helps us to find new solutions to old problems. I champion that. But there are certain things that must stay in place. As we do that. And sometimes we can look at scripture or our idea of who God is or Jesus. And we see this list of requirements that seem so crazy that I could ever meet up to that. And we think that we're going to be hemmed in following Jesus. And we think that the parameters that are there are there to hold me back and ruin my fun. When really those parameters are there to bring peace and stability to your life. If you don't have any parameters, if everything is an option, it brings chaos, confusion, and anxiety. But we serve a God who wants to give you a direct call, a direct purpose for your life that you can follow. And there are parameters there that bring us peace along the way. You know, sometimes we can think of the ancient landmark, or there's other versions that say the ancient boundary stone. And when we think of boundaries, we think, oh no, you're you're trying to keep me out. But actually, boundaries are a mark of your inheritance. There's an inheritance that Christ purchased for you when he gave his life on the cross. A spiritual inheritance that might not be a paycheck in the mail, although sometimes it might come in the form of that. But there's an inheritance and an authority that you have as a son and daughter of God to step into new, to take new ground. And so that ancient, I think some of us need to shift that mindset, Holy Spirit, if you can do that right now in people's lives, from thinking God just wants to limit me and hold me back. And that shift of realizing, oh no, God's saying this is your inheritance. Go after it. I'm going to give you the parameters you need that are going to bring you peace so you're not kind of all over the map, but you have direction for what I have for your life. I don't know if you believe this today, but I believe by faith that God has given us the ability to live the best life we could ever have. And that's just not a feel-good statement, I believe by faith. Have I stepped into that fully? No, but I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey to pursue actively the best life that I could ever have. And fulfillment isn't going to come from that thing or this thing over here. Fulfillment starts first. By standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and knowing who I am in him and, again, passionately pursuing what he has mapped out and laid out for my life. Do you know that the dreams and the visions and the passions that are in your heart to do and to be are from God? Unless they're sin, they're from God. Maybe he's put an idea in you to start a business or to create a movement or to, whatever it may be, could it be that that's from God, and he has put that in you. And so he's going to give you what you need to make that thing happen. So this morning, honestly, I have the privilege of talking about my favorite topic ever, which is Jesus. Ha <laughs> Jesus, the ultimate boundary stone that should not be moved. Now you know, before you tune me out and think, what are you going to say new here, lady? I have, you know, I know about Jesus. I don't have anything new to say. I just want you to know on the front end, I'm probably not going to say a single thing this morning that is news to you. But if you're anything like me, I need a constant reminder that he must be at the center. Is that because he's this egomaniac maniac God who wants to just take over my life? No, but if I want to build a solid, secure life, it must be on the foundation of Jesus Christ because he is the only thing that's immovable and unshakable, immovable, unshakable. And so I think often we need to be brought back to center about why, why, why do I call myself a Christian? What, I, what am I even doing in this walk with God that we talk about? And so if that's you today, you're not alone. I'm in that boat with you. And I need to be brought to center. Now, we're going to camp out quite a bit today in Galatians. I hope you brought your student hat today. I don't want to hear any griping about how much scripture we read because you're in church and we're going to read some scripture together. (laughs) So we're reading from the book of Galatians. You can go ahead and turn there. I would say it's about halfway through the New Testament after all the Gospels I'd tell you my page number. That won't help you out. The book of Galatians, though, is Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. So if you read through these epistles or these letters that come after um, the, the Gospels, it's Paul writing a letter to that church to kind of whip them into shape. Do you ever have to have those conversations with your kids? Where you're like, hey, we're slacking in this area. Let's bring it back to center. That's what Paul is doing here. And so we're going to read Galatians 2, 15 through 21 to start. So go ahead and read with me. I'm going to probably pause as we go and kind of talk through some things as we go. If you have it in your Bible, say, I got it. If you don't have a Bible, just look on with your neighbor. We're very friendly here. We will share. Although it might be too dim to see. So just listen in if you need to. Verse 15 He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Pause. Have you ever talked to someone who says the same thing five different ways? That's what Paul's doing here. Or read a book where the author like lets out their big thesis the first chapter and then the whole rest of the book you're like why did I even keep reading? They're just saying the same thing. Paul is saying the same thing three different ways here. What he's saying is that a person cannot be justified by obeying the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified? A, a kind of a corny way to remember that I learned as a kid that I've carried with me, it works, is justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Being justified is a miracle that happens when you put your faith in Jesus, where now you come with all your sin and all your shame and all your hang-ups and all your failures, and he washes you white as snow, we read in scripture, clean slate, and suddenly you become justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Does that mean you'll never sin again? No, of course you will. But it means that there's always an open door of repentance, kind of like confession, like what we did this morning, where every day we can turn and walk away and continue following Jesus, justified. So, what he's saying is that you cannot be made righteous or justified by obeying the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This was new for these people. They already knew it. The Church of Galatia already knew that this was true, but they had drifted back to their old way of thinking. Anyone ever do that? You got a New Year's resolution, I'm gonna do this every single day, and by week two, it's very normal, you kind of drift away from that habit, you gotta get right back on. Don't beat yourself up, just keep going, keep trying, get right back on. That's what Paul is doing here. So picking up in verse 17, it says, "'But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ,' We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get there yet, okay? What Paul is saying in 17 and 18 that we just read is this. Don't go back to the law. When you've already decided that the law only incarcerates you and doesn't have the ability to set you free or make you righteous. So he's kind of rebuking them and saying, I know you want to go back to the checklist. I know you want to go back to the outward fleshly reasons that you are a child of God. But those are null and void. The law holds no water anymore. You are now only righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19 We have now been crucified with him, not in the flesh, obviously. That's what water baptism, though, is all about. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision that now I am identifying with Christ's death so that I can walk in newness of life. So now when I put my faith in Jesus and I say, my righteousness is as filthy rags, Jesus, you are the only one who can save me, who can set me free now, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but I used to read this scripture as a younger person, maybe, and, and um, it is now Christ who lives in me. And, I, and it's like, is that, this is a sci-fi movie? Like, he just kind of comes in and takes over, and I'm here to let you know that's not what happens. You've probably already figured that out. But there is a process through the power of the Holy Spirit who we are given at the point of salvation that empowers us to live a life that we could not live on our own. And we can get more more into that as we move on. But what's important to note is that up until this point, the Jewish faith had an outwardly imposed law as its source of attaining righteousness. So they were given the Mosaic Law. This is called, just hang with me, all right? But this is where you put your student hat on. And this is not complicated. But Moses was given what's called the Old Covenant. God made a covenant with him, gave him the law, and that was supposed to keep God's people in check. Well, they could never uphold the law. It was way too complicated and too difficult with the human soul to be able to always obey the law. And so when they transgressed the law, they would have to bring an animal sacrifice To make up for their sin, to atone for their sin. Now we know that when Jesus went to the cross, he was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So no longer, when I mess up, do I have to bring an animal and like ask for forgiveness. Now I do confess and repent. But the price has already been paid. I don't have to carry that punishment any longer. There's nothing I can do or have to do to make up for my sin. Jesus did it for you and for me. Once and for all, the spotless lamb of God. He fulfilled the law for us when we never could. So instead of us chasing down this impossible task of trying to fulfill the law and not transgressing it, we instead get to put our faith in what Jesus did for us. And now we're free. So this church in Galatia had all, only ever known the old law. And then they're coming into this new covenant where now I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And the law was no longer an outward imposition, but an inward covenant. An inward transaction. In fact, it says the law is now written on their hearts. What does that mean, the law written on your heart? I don't know if you've ever read that. There's a scripture in Hebrews where it says, it's actually quoting all the way back to the prophet Jeremiah. Check this out. This is so amazing. The word of God is so powerful because you'll read stuff in the Old Testament that prophets before Jesus' time prophesied were going to happen through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then you see it happen in the New Testament. And this is an example of that where... Jeremiah says, back in Jeremiah 13, 33, I'm going to read it to you. For this is the covenant, he's prophesying, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is powerful. Jeremiah is coming from a time when the Mosaic law was all there was and he's saying there will be a day when I'm going to change the script And I'm going to create a scenario where no longer are they just my people who kind of do what I tell them to do and bring an animal when they screw up, but that I'm going to have a covenant relationship with them. And my law is no longer going to be outwardly imposed, but it's going to be an inward expression of my love for them and their love for me. That's what it means, the law written on your heart. It's talking about relationship. Now, if I can put it in kind of everyday terms... Think about any relationship in your life, all right? If you're married in the room today, if I just kind of, you know, don't commit adultery to not commit adultery because I'm not supposed to, okay, but I have a loving relationship and an exchange with my husband. At the point that that stops, the relationship eventually dies. You know, with my kids, I found that when they were toddlers and really young, My relationship with them, there there wasn't really any kind of give and take. I mean, we would, you know, you cuddle, babies are so sweet, and you cuddle them. But um, my teaching them what was right and wrong was very simple, very basic. You cannot argue with an 18-month-old. You can't reason with a two-year-old. This is why I'm telling, I mean, you try to do that, and, and there is a level of teaching and understanding. But when your babies are young, you're very much like, no. And if you do that, this is a consequence, and there's really no discussion. You're not trying to have a heart connection. You're trying to teach them so that they don't run out on the road and die, right? When when you're not there to grab them, they need to learn your no means no. But as your child matures and gets older, it changes. Parents, if you're not actively pursuing a heart connection with your kids, can I challenge you to do that? Because if all your kids know is this outward imposition of law and structure in the home without a heart connection and an understanding of I'm for you and this is going to be for your benefit and when we have a trust relationship and when that's broken, my feelings actually get hurt because I'm human and fostering that heart connection when they go out of your home, it really means nothing. It's just outwardly imposed law. So there's a change that happens with your children where you, let, you give them a little more leash to kind of figure out the consequences. And your job and your goal and your aim as a parent is to foster a heart connection so that when they let down their side of the deal, they feel it too. And they understand the precious nature of a, of a covenant relationship that you carry not just outwardly imposed law. That's the difference between relationship. Teenagers, can I talk to you for a moment? I know you're in the room. You have to know, you need to know that your parents, I don't care what it looks like or what it seems like, are trying to do the best that they can. You need to know that even if it doesn't seem like it, your parent would die for you. And they care more about you making it far than they do about your comfort. Now I recognize there can be some pretty messed up parental situations and there might be some in the room, I don't know. But across the board, you need to know as a young person that your parents are not lying to you when they say this is for your benefit. Even if they're wrong, their motive is I'm trying to look out for you. You also need to know that your parents are sweating in the back bedroom about parenting. I call it the great experiment. I mean, there are principles in parenting for sure, and the scripture can help you with that, and there's great courses and books out there. Go read all of it. But I, it's, we'll see. <laughs> there's so many times Christoph and I make a decision, and teenagers, you, hopefully this is helpful for you to know this, and not like tearing back the curtain too much, but um, You need to know that your parents make decisions. We make decisions about our kids or how we're going to handle a situation. And then we go and we act all like we know what we're doing. But the truth is we've never done it before. And even if we have, like we did it with Asa, now we're doing it with Jude. Jude is completely different than Asa. And Zoe, I mean, whoa, we'll figure that one out as we go. But... We go in the back bedroom and we're, we're a little scared. We're shaking in our boots. Like, are we doing the right thing? Because our kids turning out well is the highest accomplishment of our lives. I mean, burn everything else. Like what, you know, your kids, your kids matter. And so teenagers, please know that as your parents are working it out, that they are doing the best that they can and they love you and they're for you. And I feel like sometimes we need to know that in terms of our relationship with God. That God isn't interested in this outward imposition and you just, you know, modifying your behavior and falling into line. God is not interested in that as much as he's interested in a personal relationship and a heart connection. He's not mad at you when you screw up. He wants you to run to him as a safe place that you can run to him, the scripture says, and be safe and secure the rock of Jesus Christ. We can stand firm on him. So Galatians, the old covenant was the what? Outwardly imposed law. But then Jesus comes and it turns into, it, it changes into a new covenant, which is all about who? All about relationship. So we move on to chapter three. We're not done reading. Galatians 3 Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's saying, guys, you saw Jesus get, get crucified. You saw it happen. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? To try and work out our salvation through the flesh. Who try to make our walk with God into a checklist of things we do and don't do. Instead of understanding that it is a growing, thriving relationship. And it's not by works that you're going to attain righteousness. It's only through Jesus Christ by faith. Verse 10. He goes on to say, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. No one, none of us can do that. None of us can fully obey the law. So we're under a curse. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is he saying there? We just read a lot of scripture. What he's saying is that the law takes faith out of the equation. But the new covenant says it's by faith in Jesus Christ that you're saved, not by works. What this means is the gate has swung wide. There was a day that the Jewish people were the chosen people of God, and they had, they're the ones who had the law in this old covenant that they could experience some type of semblance of relationship and favor with God and blessing. But you and I, whether we're Jew by birth or not, The gate has swung wide for us. When Jesus came, he said, there's no more separation for anyone, but anyone can know me if if they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they become a child of God. They step into that inheritance. There is a boundary stone of this is marked territory for you because of what Jesus did. I know many of us know this, but this is, to me, one of the most powerful parts of the of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that when we read in scripture and it's 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 accounted for multiple times that what happened when Jesus took his last breath there was this heavy curtain in the temple of God where no one could go past unless you were a priest and went through all the ritual washings for many months then you could enter into the holy of holies and experience a relationship with God they would go in there and commune and experience his presence normal people could not do that You had to be a priest. But what happened is when Jesus died, took his last breath, that thick curtain that separated you and I from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, so there was no longer any separation. You don't need anyone to go into God's presence for you. You don't need a priest. You are the priesthood of God, the righteousness of God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, church, if you already know this, great. We need to be reminded of it, of what Jesus accomplished for you and I. Never lose sight of the rock of Jesus Christ and the fact that we get to have daily interaction and relationship with him. You don't just have to come to church on a Sunday morning to experience the amazing presence and life of God that we experience this morning together as a community. There's nothing like it when we all lift up our voices and everyone's singing in unison the same thing. There is power in that, and that is why we gather. And the scripture says don't forsake the gathering, but you need to know that you can have the presence of God. You have access to him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day, anytime. time. God is longing for a relationship with you. That is why he sent his son. So there would be no separation. But a living, breathing, day-to-day relationship with God. I want to read to you one last passage in Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It's a picture of us trying to so hard to do the same thing over and over and over. It's that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant, this is the scripture I already read to you earlier from Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, that I will put my laws on their hearts And write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us. And now the law is not this written code that we have to follow. But it's something that we carry with us in our hearts to keep us safe and secure and stable and living the best life we could ever have. The rules you impose in your home are not to ruin your kids' fun. Am I right, parents? It's so that they'll have a blessed life. It's to protect them. It's to keep them. It's to safeguard them. And in the same way, the law any law or, or calling to more that Jesus offers to us is to keep us safe and secure and make sure we are blessed and far and nothing comes in the way of all that he has for us. The old law is what, but the new law is Who? relationship. That is why we celebrate communion. What are we doing when we have communion? We are celebrating. We are acknowledging the death of Jesus and that he paid the price for all of our sin. And then the the drink is all about acknowledging the new covenant that he has put into place, that we get to have relationship with him. But all of this requires faith. If you don't believe, nothing I'm saying matters. There's always a level of uncertainty and well really is that really how it is? Is that really right? That's why we call it our faith. It all requires faith. In fact Hebrews 4.2 says that the word mixed with faith is what brings salvation. That two people can hear the same thing but if it's not mixed with faith there's a level of yes I believe I say yes to that that activates something for you. It requires faith and through faith, we're able to receive and step into beyond what we can see. You know, I I believe that there's there's probably people here who you have passions and dreams and things that you are aspiring to and hoping to do, and and maybe there's there's some deception um, in the room of people believing that that well, God doesn't want me to succeed and He doesn't want me to prosper and He doesn't you know, want me to do those things and I'll just like tuck them away. And I just want to speak directly to that today that, you know, if you're, if you find yourself passionate about something, meaning something makes you really angry and you want to fix it, or you have a solution to something and you you see a problem in the world and you want to fix it, I need you to know that that is God-breathed. Now, The thing is, you don't want to just chase after that and do it all on your own. The good news is that he wants to empower you to do that in a way that's beyond what you could do on your own. Sometimes our dreams and our vision seem so overwhelming and we'd rather just sit back and be comfortable and not do a thing and not lift a finger. But I think there are things in this room that God has already put in you that he wants to ignite and say, yes, that's from me. And I wanna give you, and it's not gonna look like the person next to you. Don't try to make it look like the person next to you. I've given you a race to run. I have this call in you for a reason. I put you on the earth for these things. And so today, as we talk about Jesus, I just, I just feel like there needs to be a little bit of an adjustment in some of us. You know, I don't know if you go to a chiropractor, or, you know, maybe not, but I go to a chiropractor kind of regularly, and it's super helpful to me, and it's interesting. The first thing he has me do is lay on my stomach on a table, and he checks out my feet, the length of my legs. <laughs> and I don't feel like I'm walking with a limp. I mean, do I look like I'm limping? I don't know. But almost every time I go in for an adjustment, it's off. And he'll feel around spine and figure out where the problem is. And, of course, he's asking me where there's pain or whatever. And that all helps him diagnose. And he'll just make a couple of adjustments. And then before I leave the room, he checks the length of my legs. And he doesn't stop doing that until they're perfectly in line. And some of us, we have these little tweaks that are off kilter. Like maybe God doesn't want me to succeed. Maybe he's not really for me. Maybe he doesn't really care about me. I don't feel him. I don't hear him. I just need to do this on my own. Whatever that is for you, and we get so used to it, and we're kind of hobbling around with this, with this pain, but we don't even notice it anymore because it's just the way I do life and it's just the way i walk and it's just the way i see things and i believe that that as we revisit the the topic and the and the the truth and the reality of what jesus accomplished for us and what that means for us today i believe there there needs to be like an adjustment in some of us that we could walk securely that we can walk without pain that we can walk without a limp that we can even maybe start to jog and run again because there's been an adjustment and a tweaking spiritually speaking Could you stand to your feet? I, You know, we sang. Um, man, I wrote the worship list for this morning, um, but I loved it. <laughs> Can I just say? Meaning the order of the songs. Anyway, I'm not trying to take credit. I'm just saying it's funny how I wrote it, you know, whatever. Don't put songs together. You think it's the right thing. And I love that we sang so much this morning about promises, even declaring that he is the promise keeper. Um, man, it's so easy to create your own version of who God is. Based on culture, experience, whatever it is. If you do that, you're normal. That's normal. But we need to revisit who, God, who is God really. You need to get out a journal and write out who is God And see what comes out. And ask the Holy Spirit to tweak that if there needs to be a tweaking. Do you know that God is a promise keeper? The scripture says that he cannot speak a word and it not accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. And I'm sure this does not take a a prophet to, to say that there are people who you have promises tucked away that you have not seen come to pass. How do we inherit the promises of God? Number one being salvation. How do we inherit that? Hebrews 6.12 says it's through faith, which we've talked a lot about this morning, and patience. Hebrews 6.12 says we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. If you have not seen the promises of God fully fulfilled in your life, can I just tell you, hang on. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Through, keep believing through faith, but we got to be patient and know that God is on our side. You know, he's in your corner. He fights for you. He's made a way for you. So I also believe, though, that there's some here who maybe you came into the room today thinking that um, a relationship with God or that, that God in general, uh, being righteous, was, was based on the things that you do. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a Christian, then I have to stop doing this, and I do need to start doing that. And, you know, there are some principles there. There's probably some truth to that. But hopefully what you heard today is it's, it's so much more than that. Anything you do or don't do, any behavior modification is the fruit of what's happened in your heart. And actually following Jesus is about a decision by faith that, Jesus, you made a way for me. When I could never fulfill the law, when I could never be perfect or righteous, you became you, you took on all of my sin and you've made me now the righteousness of God. And I, I want to say yes to that. And so simple, simple decision this morning, if that's you and you want to say yes to that, all we're going to do this morning is I'd ask you to lift your hand. And our, as a church, we're going to say, Jesus, I give you my life together. Okay, so if that's you, just raise your hand. Be so bold as to raise your hand. Awesome. I see hands all over the room. Beautiful. And church, repeat after me, Jesus, I give you my life. We're going to say it one more time with faith. Jesus, Jesus. I give you my life. Amen. 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 Can you clap, church? (sighs) That one small decision, which, by the way, you make every day. You don't, it's not that you won't, you know, go to heaven someday or know God if you don't say that, those words every day. You're secure in the hands of God. But every day we make the decision, Jesus, I give you my life. Every day we come back to center. We get those legs, you know, even again. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm not building a life for myself. This is not a Tanya show and everything I can accomplish. The purpose of my life is to give you glory. And you have created, as Psalm 139 says, you mapped out my days before I was even born. Before my mama even loved me, you knew who I would be. You knew what I was meant to do on the planet Earth. These are not just, you know, life coaching words that people say, this is God's truth for your life. You get to choose to take hold of it You get to choose to not move the ancient boundary stone that has marked the territory that God has for you. And even as Pastor Angie exhorted us, it doesn't always look like fireworks. It looks like hard work. It looks like doing the thing when no one else wants to do the thing. It looks like cultivating generosity when you don't feel like it. It looks like saying no to the thing that you know is going to harm you even though it feels so good. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like everyone patting you on the back and just, you know, as Christoph would say, you know, tiptoeing through tulips and butterflies on your shoulder. Like newsflash, following Jesus does not look like that. But it looks like every day saying yes to him and allowing the spirit of God that is a gift to his people to empower us. The word says, hang with me. I know I'm talking a lot here. Listen, the word says that even better than Jesus walking next to you, like he did with the disciples, is the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you say yes to Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit. There's more there. There's the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone's interested in that, I want to talk to you right after church here down front. But there is a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we get to cultivate where he begins to lead us and guide us and bring transformation in ways that no self-help could ever do for you. That's the power of following Jesus through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that is yours. That's your boundary marker. That is your inheritance in Christ Jesus as we put our faith in him. As we close today, I'm just going to um, read a benediction over us. Before I do that, God, I thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your son to become a man, and walk on this earth and face all the things that we face yet without sin, that he could become the perfect spotless lamb of God that could take away our sin. We thank you that we don't have to live incarcerated to a sinful nature any longer, but we get to live free as we say yes to you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in every heart in this room. We encourage it. We say yes to it. We thank you. We're not on our own to try and fulfill the works of the law, but we get to be justified by faith in you, Jesus. We honor you in this place. Amen. 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 So before you go, May we be people who embrace the new covenant relationship with Jesus every single day. May we have our feet firmly planted on the immovable, unshakable rock of Jesus Christ. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.